The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Get Beyond Notifications, enhancing mobile security to be scalable for the next generation of leaders. A professional development seminar featuring President and CEO of Digital Envy Incorporated, Sonia Kumar, Cyber Technology Officer in the U.S. Marine Corps Force Cyberspace Command, Renata Spinks, Chief Information Officer in the U.S. Army, Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Chief Information Officer for the Federal Emergency Management Agency, Lightwave Hutchinson, Senior Vice President and General Manager for Perspective Navy and Marine Corps Business Group, Vice Admiral Ted Branch, and Commander in the U.S. Marine Corps, Major General Matthew Glavy. Mobility is one of the largest evolutions of attack vectors and leaders must be cognizant of the potential threats on the horizon. Learn the tools, techniques, and protocols national security leaders are using to prevent, identify, and respond to these changes. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Get Beyond Notifications. Enhancing Mobile Security to be Scalable for the Next Generation of Leaders. Featuring Sonia Kumar, Renata Spinks, Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Lightwave Hutchinson, Vice Admiral Ted Branch, and Major General Matthew Glavy. We're gonna to move to um, Vice Admiral Branch. Okay, good morning. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I'm uh, honored to be here along with my esteemed panelists and, uh, and all of you this morning. And congratulations, General, on your, on your award. Uh, I work, I spent a lot of time in uniform, uh, like my cohort here. Uh, now I work for Perspecta. Perspecta is a leading government services uh, provider that brings a, a diverse set of capabilities and managed services. Uh, uh, big uh, digital transformation, enterprise operations to a diverse set of customers in the defense, intel, uh, healthcare, and civilian state and local space. So we have a broad set of issues that we work when it comes to security and mobile device security. When you look at the overarching picture and to address the question, uh, the world's changed obviously with peer competition, uh, evolving threats, a very uh, robust capability on the other side, if you will. So uh, for a lot of time, for a long time, the, the big threat in, in the mobility space seemed to be a criminal threat. You know, we were worried about our identity. We were worried about somebody hacking into our phones, malware, ransomware, that kind of thing. That still exists in a big way. But now, and particularly in the government space, we worry about uh, the adversary threat and, and what the adversary can do uh, if they get into the wrong person's mobile device and phones. So uh, the hygiene part, the compliance part, following the rules is all fundamental. And we, we stress that too. We help train to that. We help manage that with our managed services. But we also have techno te technology that helps secure the devices, that helps secure the data, and I think we'll see more and more of that as we go down the path in the future. And we might talk about a little more of that in a, in a subsequent question. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for that perspective. Um, so we went from cyber to both military and now private industry with perspective. And so now we want to jump to the CIO over at FEMA, who has a unique perspective with the mission that um, FEMA has. So Ms. Hutchison, we're going to come to you for that, and then we're going to leave our honoree for the last to give us a little bit at length on, on both the military side, sir, as well as as a chief information officer from a communications perspective as well. Well, good morning. Thank you very much for having me, and I too would like to congratulate uh, General Crawford on his award today. Um, so from a, a FEMA perspective, just uh, maybe looking at things a little bit more operationally, if I, I could, uh, and agreeing with both of the other panel members, um, some of the things that we're concerned with as we go about uh, <coughs> implementing and executing the FEMA mission of helping people before, during, and after a disaster is uh, how attackers are able to <coughs> gain access to information systems 
through um, mobile systems through unauthorized access. So that's a big one for us. Uh, additionally, how do we uh, how are we able to protect our data itself um, on mobile devices? The utilization of uh, geolocation and um, the ability for maybe adversary or someone to be able to physically track a mobile user is something that we are concerned about. In addition to a big one that I believe, which is social engineering, where people are able to impersonate if whether they're using text messages or emails. Um, and then the idea of having um, a Wi-Fi capability, a hotspot that is mimicking a legitimate spot. And then uh, the last one I would share would be probably the ability to modify um, data in transit uh, through tamper, tamper, util, through the utilization of tampered hard, or hardware or software. So these are the things that we are concerned about as it relates to um, the advanced utilization of mobile devices, especially in our disaster areas. Um, what we're doing about those things is we are, you know, making sure that we do uh, basic cyber hygiene, which is very, very important. Those are the things that seem to get missed a lot because people tend to want to jump to what tool can I deploy in order to solve my problem, which are very important as well. But sticking with the basics and ensuring that we are applying the standards, we're using our MDMs in order to push out policies, and that we are using derived credentials to ensure that we know who is actually um, utilizing the devices. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ms. Hutchison. Great mission there as we look at all of the different from tornadoes to hurricanes to, you know, different flooding um, zones. So really appreciative of having you here and your perspective. Thank you. General Crawford. Right. Uh, first thing I want to do is I want to thank everyone uh, who all the brave souls who decided to show up here uh, early this morning, especially on uh, on, on Valentine's Day. And uh, so, so to the question, uh, before I get to answer the actual question, I think there's a couple of things we probably need to discuss. And it has to do with the environment in which our young people, and I see many of them uh, back there in the room, thank you all for waking up early. Uh, I'm sure you don't always, not all of you get up this early uh, every morning. Uh, but uh, to the strategic environment. So the National Defense Strategy uh, was published in, uh, to the point about national defense, was published in uh, January, I think it was, of 2018. And it, uh, it really had, uh, there were three big ideas associated with it. Uh, one was uh, priority one had to do with lethality and increasing the overall lethality. That's our wartime mission for all the services. The other had uh, acknowledged the need for modernization. And then the last piece was about reform, simply looking at the kind of next 10 to 15 years and coming to the conclusion that we cannot continue to just do business as usual if we want to be able to compete, and if we want to be able to ultimately fight and win, if the American people call on us, in this era of great power competition uh, around the globe. And that's not just military competition, there's an economic competition, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was all about those three big ideas, increasing lethality, uh, acknowledging modernization, and then getting after reform in the era of great power competition. So, so why is that important? Uh, I'd ask everyone within earshot here in the room, uh, go take a look at the National Defense Strategy, and I want you to go straight to page 10, all right, because it gets to why, kind of why we're here. And on page 10, it talks about uh, another big idea, which is innovation. Uh, and and, and then that's, that's kind of what we're going to have to, that competitive space globally as a, as a nation that we're going to have to be able to compete in. Uh, the ability to out-innovate uh, our peer adversaries. And uh, so what's on page 10 with respect to innovation that caught my eye a couple of years ago, and I've been talking about it, it says something very simple. It no longer matters who gets there first. I say again, it no longer, it's not just about who gets there first, but who's able to get there and adapt the capability and evolve it over time. Almost everybody in here has got something in their pocket, probably a smartphone of some kind, uh, that is fundamentally different than it was, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago when the, con the concept of smartphones were developed. And so those who have succeeded in this particular uh, part of the IT marketplace were able to adapt what's on page 10, where they took the capability and they were able to evolve it and they were able to win in the competitive space that is the IT marketplace. 
I offer that as the lesson learned for, for our young people here. So you wonder why this generation that's up here talks to you about being adapted, or why this generation talks to you about being comfortable in uh, operating in what we call gray space, which is outside of your comfort zone. It's because of what's on page 10. And so we believe in that. To the question in, uh, that was actually uh, asked about mobility, my biggest concern has to do with data. All right, and it's not just uh, how we're gonna protect it, uh, but right now our data is disparate uh, and it needs to be uh, curated uh, and then migrated to probably a cloud hosting environment so that we can, we can better protect it. Where it currently sits, and uh, I think everybody up here has kind of mentioned that, um, it's, it's gonna be very difficult because there are literally a thousand flowers blooming uh, when it comes to our data, it's everywhere. And so from my perspective, my absolute number one priority as a chief information officer of the third largest and most complex organization of any kind in the world, and that is the United States Army, the world's largest employer, um, it has to do with the migration over the next three years of our data. And the Army is going to commit about $700 million uh, to do that. Over. Thank you. So as we move on to mobility on the move, I'm going to um, ask this question to Major General Glavy. When military personnel are being deployed on the tactical environment, how does mobility change? So they're, they're uh, I kind of say that, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like a tracer, right? So the ability to see where your round impacts affords, you know, the opportunities tracers to get, especially in a low visibility environment. Well, you know, mobility devices kind of provide a similar signature out there. Uh, you know, we, we've had challenges, certainly uh, from private use of, of mobility devices in the battle space with our, uh, our Marines pro probably crossed all the services. And we got to be very, very, uh, you know, understand very clearly what those devices can cause uh, uh, from, from an adversary uh, standpoint. But I will also tell you that uh, we, we haven't probably done this to, to the point that we need to, but, but it's very clearly, and, and General Crawford is so right, this I the idea of innovation and change. So I've been... Uh, uniquely positioned to, to be a part of this ISIS fight for far too long, uh, certainly from a kinetic standpoint and what we have to do against the adversary there, but also from a cyber standpoint. And really to watch what they have done uh, from an innovative standpoint, certainly the dark side of the force, but what they've been able to do with Hilux, Toyotas, Android devices, which HD graphics and a hotspot, is, is next to amazing with respect to military history, right? They've been able to take over two countries. Uh, again, the dark side and things that we probably are, are timid to learn from, but they've been able to use mobility like you can't imagine. Their ability to go from 300 users to 3,000 to 30,000 to 3 million in a very short period of time and create something that in our wildest imaginations uh, we could not possibly understand or see coming due to our own limitations with our sometimes our inability to change and really adapt to the innovation. Our adversary has done it, unfortunately has done it well. And, and you know, we've certainly countered that punch, but we would be uh, 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 derelict if we did not learn from it and learn from what this, what this technology uh, can do. Uh, for us and, and, and certainly against us. And history is written, and, and again, I'm not sure how it exactly will be written, but, but you know, things like the German Blitzkrieg and, and what was done with modernization of, of armament to do something no one has seen before probably is, is very similar to the heinous environment that we saw uh, certainly in Iraq and Syria. Uh, so mobility, they've shown us how you can take mobility and use it in ways we never imagined. So again, I, I think heeding General Crawford's advice about innovation, about change, and how about, I, I say about every 90 days, I tell her not, everything I thought 90 days ago, I, 
I, I probably got to reevaluate if it's really that assumption is still accurate going forward because technology changes, the adversary changes, our, our own approvals and authorities and what we can do and not do changes. It, it is just a, a world of constant change. And sometimes, you know, I'm an aviator and we used to say change was the mother of all risk. And uh, I will tell you, I've had to shun that because change in this environment is incredible opportunity. And those who can adapt to it quickest are those who are going to be successful and survive. And I, I think it's true in business, very true in a military aspect. Uh, thank you, Renata. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so I'm going to ask this question to Vice Admiral Ted Branch. In the perspective from industry, uh, in what you're seeing, how can and what are some of the things that you know uh, the services are doing to adjust uh, these uh, areas of innovation and um, protect the mission? Uh, with respect to mobility, right? Mm -hmm. uh, thanks. It's, it's a great question. And to, and to pile on to General Glavy's point, uh, the use of mobility, the use of uh, you know, battle space awareness on the move, the, the ability to command and control with, with mobile devices is, is a force multiplier that, that we can't afford not to have. Uh, so that managing that risk, managing the operational security risk, the vulnerabilities associated with it uh, are, are part of the issue. And that extends back into just everyday life uh, in garrison or uh, out on the leading edge. Some of the technologies that are in play to protect the data, as General Crawford says, are containerized solutions where you have a where you have what looks like an application on your phone, and all your all your business is in that container. Uh, that's pretty widespread these days as as a as a method to protect the data. We have derived credentials on phones, so uh, you can you can send encrypted emails. Uh, are signed emails without having to use a, a, a command access card to do it with some kind of bulky sled. That also helps in a, in a operational security environment when you think about uh, you don't want to be somewhere out to be seen and have a CAC sled hanging out of your phone and knowing that you're doing some kind of official work or official uh, correspondence. Uh, having a mobile device manager with the ability to monitor what's on the device and the ability, if compromised, to wipe the device remotely is, is also one of the technologies that's, uh, that's widely in play. And increasingly, uh, two-factor authentication, if, if everybody's not using two-factor authentication on everything you do, uh, you should. Uh, but that gets, you know, we, we're getting into that in the government space. Uh, broadly, too, and we do it with uh, the old-fashioned way, you know, with a password and maybe a text uh, with a with an access code, or nowadays biometrics, you know, a fingerprint or a face a face shot to that you get into the device. So there there are multiple ways to to secure the data in a container and have access to that container, uh, which is which is helpful. And then depending on the policies of the organization. Uh, and how strict they are, you can either have it just on a government furnished device uh, or in some cases a bring your own device and then segment it with that containerized solution. Thank you so much. Uh, next question is going to Ms. Hutchinson. In the same perspective of mobility on the move, as you look to secure facilities, data, and survivors of disaster zone, what are what are the security measures you consider for FEMA, and also what are solutions you're looking to support in the need uh, in terms of increasing speed delivery, as well as connectivity? So um, thank you for that. Um, FEMA's mission uh, uh, is centered around uh, effective communications and partnerships. So we partner with state, local government. We uh, partner with industry. We partner with other federal agencies as well. And we take advantage of a lot of technologies and capabilities that are built, and we also continue to build our own. As we go out to disaster zones that um, may not have uh, um, connectivity or availability, we do have um, 
uh, mobile vehicles that we send out that have satellite capability through um, RF frequency capability. We also have the ability to have um, uh, networks in a box, if you will, that have uh, a GPS capability. So um, we tend to deploy and deploy with enough capability and technology to be able to provide um, connectivity and support to not just the FEMA employees, but also to our partners that are working with us. Um, we also um, have a mobile a credentialing system that we also take with us that is that's able to um, authenticate uh, and utilize uh, uh, PIV credentials across the spectrum from the CAT card that DOD uses to the uh, PIV cards that are used by our state and local government. We rely heavily on our uh, transport partners, such as AT&T and, and others, to be able to help us do uh, have long-haul capabilities, and they help us to ensure the bandwidth availability to support our, our uh, employees that are in the field that are help, helping our disaster survivors. Um, we are looking at uh, ability to continue to innovate and find out how we can do things um, faster, certainly secure, securely, um, and innovate those capabilities so we can go from days of establishing a joint field office where disaster survivors come in in order to get support to hours uh, or maybe even minutes by utilizing innovation and working through partnerships across the spectrum from other federal agencies down through and to our state and local governments. Thank you so much. Um, and now, Lieutenant General Crawford, back towards um, innovation. And then we're also going um, to adjust that question just a little bit more. In terms of your organization with the Army, how do you look at securing facilities for your soldiers, for those uh, civilians that are abroad and that are in these disaster zones? And as well as the same question is, what is security measures you do consider for the Army in that terms? And then also, what solutions are you looking to support? Okay, I, I think I heard four questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, yeah. so, so, we need to know that. Uh, if the question is uh, about our civilians, uh, which we have uh, 15,000 of IT professionals, and another 5,000 or so that are cyber professionals specifically, and 46,000 uh, uniformed uh, soldiers in this particular uh, as IT professionals across the, across the globe. If it's got to do with that, uh, then, then let's have that conversation. So, so point number one, uh, I would say that, uh, let you know, the Army's number one priority, and this came with our 40th Chief of Staff of the Army uh, when he took over on the 9th of August, uh, is people. And that was kind of the shot heard around the world when for the past four years, it's been all about readiness, modernization, and reform uh, for the Army. And so we're not walking away from readiness. That's really important to us. Uh, but what we're saying is, and what the Chief's uh, you know, thesis is here, listen, uh, when the American people uh, call on the United States Army, uh, they don't send us to participate, all right? They don't send the United States Army to try hard. Uh, they send us to win. Therefore, winning matters. Uh, and so what winning looks like in this particular case is that we invest and continue to invest in our people. In this particular case, it's talent management. And so uh, the one big idea associated with talent management beyond the fact that we've stood up a talent management task force inside the Army, which is uh, you know, just producing uh, tremendous results. We have uh, established a people strategy for the first time in the 244-year history of your United States Army that we are following uh, and delivering on. Uh, but uh, we've got to figure out uh, how we're going to get to the workforce of the next 10 years. So what do I mean by that? Uh, I had our team, I've got Dr. Julie Cruz here. Uh, Julie, raise your hand, uh, from my team. And she's responsible for that 
the training of that 15,000 IT professionals. I had her go look at the Army of 2028, and I had her go and look at the skill sets based on artificial intelligence, advanced robotics, machine learning, uh, the capabilities uh, that we believe will be resident in the next 10 years. And I said, I want you to think about what skill sets are going to be required uh, for us to be able to fight and win uh, from the enterprise to the tactical edge in that environment. And she came up with about three or four skill sets. And then I had her come back and look at the skill sets we have like right now. What skill sets do I have now? And we rapidly came to the conclusion that only about 40% of those 15,000 IT professionals that I have have the resident skill sets that we're gonna need in the next three to five years, much less the next 10 years. All right. Uh, and so what do we got to do? What do we have to do about that? We've got a significant upskilling and reskilling challenge uh, that awaits us. So for those that are out there in commercial and defense industry who have ideas, uh, we're, we're all open to them. But the last thing I'll tell you about the upskilling and reskilling, uh, we've got to reimagine the workforce of the future. And if you look at academia today, um, that marketplace in and of itself is changing. It's no longer the instructor at the podium talking to 300 students because our young people learn differently. And so it's more about online training now. It's more about nano degrees now. And so we've also got in this upskilling and reskilling challenge back to investing in our people, we've got to rethink not only the workforce of the future and the skill sets we need, but how do we get there? If you'd asked me three years ago if I'd be investing in online training, or if venture capitalists would be investing heavily in online training, I would have told you absolutely not. We're gonna go traditional route, go get the two-year degree, but uh, it's, we can't get there fast enough. So our, our Secretary of the Army likes to say luck follows speed. In order to get to speed uh, for those skill sets that we're gonna need in the future, we're gonna have to not only reimagine the workforce of the future, but we're gonna have to reimagine the mechanism that we're gonna use, which is leveraging non-traditional means to upskill and reskill that workforce. So my concern and my observation with respect to the question has to do with people. Uh, that's probably the greatest challenge uh, that we have. You're listening to Get Beyond Notifications, enhancing mobile security to be scalable for the next generation of leaders, a professional development seminar. Featuring Sonia Kumar, Renata Spinks, Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford, Lightwave Hutchinson, Vice Admiral Ted Branch, and Major General Matthew Glavy. Brought to you by the Global Catalyst for Change, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you so much, General Crawford. And to end off of the people part is a great segue into the very next question where I have to put my general on the hot seat. You know, when you walk into Laswell Hall up at Fort Meade, the first thing you see is people, ideas, and things. When I first heard that, um, I really didn't understand what it meant until I actually started to um, engage with people and then understanding where the ideas of three basically combatant commands, the services, um, you have your service responsibility, and then you have a responsibility to national security with Cyber Command and the NSA, and then there's this Doden. And so there were so many different portfolios that were being thrown at me, and I didn't understand why people, ideas, and things were so important until I actually was in the fight and understanding that, much like what General Crawford just spoke about, the talent management is one of your most critical pieces, your data and talent management. So we've got our command action group here today, and we've been talking about interns and bringing talent in from midshipmen, et cetera. So I just want to take time to just have Jerome Glavy kind of talk through the talent management. And just to set the stage, we're going to go to um, Vice Admiral Branch, and he's going to talk about how Prospector is supporting the way the military is now managing its talent and providing input to that as well. Thanks. Renata, you want me yes, to go we'll first? go first, and then we'll go to um, Vice Admiral Branch, and okay. then we're going to close out with questions from the audience. Okay. Uh, so I spent, uh, and, and so did Admiral Branch, the vast majority of my career in aviation, love it. 
the thrill. It's amazing. Uh, my job prior to coming here, I was the commanding general, second marine aircraft wing, about 500 airplanes, 15,000 people, about 1,000 wheeled vehicles. Uh, it, my life was hell, right? So we found ourselves in a very uh, tough predicament where I think, and I'll, I'll uh, you can quote me on this, that I think we spent entirely too much time on things, right? A lot of times on things. Uh, spent three tours in the Pentagon, part of the F-35, part of the V-22, part of some of this technology that's really, really important, by the way. But wow, did it consume us. Those things ate our lunch. And, uh, and then I go down to be a wing CG and spend all my time somehow, someway trying to make those very fickle beasts do what they're supposed to do. And less and less of my time on those incredible people that matter, matter the most. And uh, it is what it is. And, you know, at some point of that, as I chased around pieces and parts to make those damn airplanes fly, I, I, I realized that, that what's going to be our solution to all this, as, as General Crawford so eloquently stated, it's all about people, right? It's all about those people aren't trained, uh, aren't empowered, um, you know, aren't given the tools to be successful. You will not be successful. And I'll, I'll, I can guarantee that every step of the way. So I, I stepped foot into this cyber domain. And, uh, and quickly realized that this, this, is, this is all about thinking, right? Uh, this is really a cognitive environment. I always tell everybody from my commandant on down, best idea wins. Best idea wins. And uh, you, wouldn't, uh, you, you, wouldn't, uh, you couldn't imagine how powerful that is when, when that's what matters most. Uh, regardless of rank, I always tell, uh, you know, you, know, you, you got to have this hook outside your door. It's the humility hook where you, you, you hang your ego at the door before you walk into anything you do in this environment. Uh, because, you know, certainly for me, I find myself in the, uh, the enviable position of not being the smartest person in the room. And if, and if, if somehow, some way we control our egos on that, it is a really powerful environment because of all the things we do in the military. This, this is, we're only going to be successful in this domain if, if indeed we leverage our incredible people. So I will tell you, it's, it's a nice, you know, people ideas things. Uh, we stole that from Colonel John Boyd, by the way. That's called the Boyd Trinity. And he'll tell you in, in, his, in his review of military history, Boyd found that, that, that when, when, when in, uh, militaries focused on those things from Napoleon uh, through World War II, through modern times, that, that, that's, that's how you will be uh, uh, successful, but but it's not a it's not a it's not a bumper sticker. It's it's necessity. It's necessity. So thanks, Renata. That's all I got. Thank you. Thank you, um, Admiral Branks. Can you give us a little insight into how perspective supports that people focus? Um, we 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 hear a lot about the talent gaps in cybersecurity, um, and as it re relates to mobility and application management, you mentioned containerization earlier. Can you give us a little bit on how your mission focuses on supporting the people part? Sure, and thanks. Uh, it's, it's safe to say there's a war for talent out there going on right now. The unemployment in the IT space and the information space is somewhere around 2% or something like that. The fact of the matter is, if you want a job and you've got the, you got the credentials to get it, you'll get a job and people will be lining up to knock on your door. Uh, to General Crawford's point, I think we are evolving uh, and not needing those four-year degrees now to do what we need to do. I mean, it's, it's becoming a much more specialized space, whether you're in the information technology per se or computer science or software development or uh, data science. Uh, those fields can be, uh, can be learned in stride. And, and often are, and there are good programs out there, as General Crawford alluded to, uh, to do that. What, what Perspecta does is, is like what many uh, industries do, and by the way, we're in competition with these guys. Uh, I will tell you, and for the cadets in the back of the room, uh, you can do things serving your country that you can't do selling to your country. So, uh, and, and the opportunity to serve is, is just, uh, it's just what keeps most people in the business. I will tell you, it's true for these guys. I know uh, it was true for me. So while there's competition in the space, I think the military uh, and government service has a unique advantage in, in that you can do things in your space that you can't do anything anywhere else. Uh, Perspective has a lot of people in in working with the government, supporting those supporting those efforts. We have a, a largely cleared workforce of 14,000 employees. About 9,000 of them are, are cleared uh, employees. 
so so we can we can help, but it's the it's the uniforms and the government civilians that, that lead the charge uh, in that talent. So back to the original question. What we're doing, we have our intern programs. We bring people in as interns. We work on their clearances while they're interning with us. Uh, get, get them started before they're real hires while they're still in school. Uh, I think that's pretty widespread in industry. We, we help them uh, strategize and target uh, where their talents are best and, and help them get into the kind of programs that will that will that will help further their careers and oh by the way if they stick with us help us uh, in our services to the government uh, it's a it's a broad spread approach and then of course you you need to be an employer that people want to work for you know you have to have the kind of culture you have to have the kind of uh, compensation benefits all the things that go along with it that appeal to today's uh, young and evolving workforce and like I say, it's a war. And Amazon coming here doesn't help. So, uh, you know, we'll see you out there in the space. And, and we're happy to have you. We, we are one of the top veteran hiring groups uh, in, the, in the country. And we love to have veterans come to us because they have a solid work ethic. They understand the big picture. And they're just great employees. So, uh, you know, my, my advice to you would be start here and then come see us. <laughs> Thank you so much, Admiral, um, for that perspective, and, and definitely happy to have um, perspective with that support to the to the military forces. Um, right now, we're going to be conscious of time, and we're going to open up the um, question and answer session. Initially, we asked for cards and write down questions, etc. But just in case you didn't really like that approach, there's a microphone now set up in the middle of the room. If you could just line up and um, state your name. Where are you from? What brings you to Bayer? And then just please um, point your questions to one of our panelists so they can provide um, whatever the answer is. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Mike Valdez. Um, I work in a lot of places, so we'll leave it at that. Um, sir, uh, sir Crawford, um, so we're talking about um, innovation and mobility. So how are you leveraging innovation to enable mobility with respect from the early entry fight all the way, and how does that work with DSEA um, in, an, in an environment where you would have to <clears throat> provide defense support to civil authorities and in a multi-coalition world where, where some of our coalition partners are not as advanced in, and bringing the, uh, the, in, the enterprise to the tactical edge? How do we enable that? Yeah, so, so, so there are a couple of things there. I'll start with the second question that you asked that had to do with our allies, because that's kind of the fourth priority for the national defense strategy is assuring our allies. So we've also gotten a room here, uh, Brigadier General Jeff Ray. Uh, Jeff, raise your hand. Uh, he's the J-6 of Central Command. Uh, and there is no, no uh, more important fight than what's going on today, as you witnessed what happened going on at Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina, just, just recently. Probably the greatest thing that we can do in terms of assuring our allies is making sure that uh, we're able, to, we, we've created a network uh, that they can actually plug into uh, and share information. And so we've got a partnership with the Air Force that's ongoing. They had to lead, it's called the Mission Partner Environment. And essentially what they think of it in, in terms of our allies have their weapon systems, uh, they have artillery, they have art intelligence, they have logistics, they've got their systems. They should be able to plug those systems into this network and have us be on the other side. And we ought to be able to communicate. We ought to be able to do more than just voice, video, and chat. That's all good stuff. But can we fight together? And so this uh, started about uh, a little about, about 14, 15 months ago. The Army, uh, the joint community is tightly coupled. And again, it's called the mission partner environment. And in the interest of time, I'll, uh, I'll just answer it that way. And it's essentially moving away from this idea that we have to be operating on a secret network because that's where we do most of our war fighting. 
and moving to uh, a concept where all information is secret releasable to our closest allies. That's a huge game-changing event that's going to occur uh, in the Army and across the Joint Force later uh, uh, over the next 12 to 18 months. And so sounds very simple, but moving from using SIPR all the time to moving to secret releasable where 90% of your traffic is going to be in a secret releasable uh, environment is going to be a huge game changer for us. And there, there, there are 10 other things that we're doing uh, to, you know, uh, flatten comms and increase lethality with our allies. But that's probably one of the biggest ones that's going to occur uh, in the near time. And the last part was, um, so as a former member of the Global Ready Force, how do you bring the the enterprise to the tactical agent in early entry. Yeah, yeah, we, we have to. I, I talked about data earlier. I will not rehash that. Uh, that you know those 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 uh, points that I made. But almost every conversation when it comes to um, uh, everything from from training to in route comms to the ability to get on the ground and fight, it begins and ends with a discussion of data. Uh, how you're protecting it, how you're going to secure it, et cetera. Uh, the biggest thing that we've got, so we got a cross-functional team inside the Army that we formed about two years ago. It's a part of Army Futures Command. Where we literally stood up a command, a four-star headquarters, in the middle of Austin, Texas. Okay, Not on Fort Pick Your Place, uh, one of the 288 that we got in the Army. We put it in the middle of Austin, Texas, because it's an innovation incubator. Uh, virtually every industry partner is there, and it's on a you know basically on the college campus. So what's happening there? Um, they're literally creating a capability that no matter where the soldier is, um, the warfighting capability has the same look and feel. Okay, so whether it's a handheld device, uh, they're moving, uh, shooting, moving, and communicating, or they're in a stationary command post. Your command post, and this is the big idea, is wherever you are. All right, and so that's not just an active duty. Uh, we were talking about disaster relief, et cetera. That's capability we're also going to roll out to the Guard and to the Reserve. So it's taking the various warfighting capabilities that we have, and whether it's on a handheld or you're moving inside a vehicle or you're in a stationary command post, which could be an aircraft like the 82nd Airborne Division had uh, when they uh, had to go, had about you know a day's notice to move out. Uh, to Iraq uh, and Afghanistan area, um, same look and feel no matter where you are. All conversations begin with and end with aggregating our, aggregating our data so that we can make that happen on a platform, regardless of what the platform is. And the last thing for you, sir, um, I understand um, Army Futures Command Network, CSE, how we're kind of not circumventing, but taking leaps and bounds above the acquisition life cycle. What is the core doing to accelerate technologies into the force? Um, you know, with given that our acquisition is slow. So certainly, uh, Marine Corps much smaller uh, th than America's Army, uh, and learning greatly from all the innovation the Army does provide. Uh, Marine Corps has always done fairly well uh, by the Army, and, and, and watching, learning closely, and, and leveraging all the capabilities. Uh, we, we also, it's joint uh, warfighting lab that we do on a much smaller basis that tries to push innovation out probably directly into some of the training environments that we operate in uh, and, and then try to spiral those capabilities in, in short order, but, but certainly not to the scale and level that the Army is, and therefore our partnership, our ability to, to leverage and work closely with the Army on, on any type of cutting edge uh, capabilities is, is very important. Thanks. Good morning. My name is Robin Johnson. I am a government civilian with the National Security Agency. I am a cybersecurity professional for a lot of years, but I just want to make a couple of statements as it relates to cybersecurity, specifically acquisition security. Um, first question is to the General uh, Crawford. I believe you were my Team EXO back in the day at 440th Signal Battalion, if you remember. Yes. <laughs> so I want to say how long ago that was. But I, I was, that was 34 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, second anyway. lieutenant. I was a lot smarter back then. <laughs> um, wow. uh, my other question um, that I wanted to make that, and then mobile security, I wanted to know what did you think about um, 
the um, 5G network uh, coming into play. Also, um, obviously, NSA is one of the most highly talented, educated workforces, and um, we really spend a lot of time on training, um, specifically uh, cloud computing. Um, I won't say vendor uh, specific, but cloud computing, um, DevSecOps, containerization, those technologies that makes uh, development, software development move faster. Um, as far as acquisition security, uh, we've working some of our partners down at um, CENTCOM. And um, if you ever have challenges, um, NSA is there. I'm not speaking for them or General Nakasomi, but to lean on the expertise that they have in our new cybersecurity directorate, um, that's it. No so, so it's a question and answer session. Is there a question, Ms. Johnson? <laughs> I think she called me old. Oh, that's what it was. And you, you concur. Okay. Um, next question, please. Yeah. Hopefully, I still have time. Yes, absolutely. Right, perfect. Well, um, everyone on the panel, thank you for for coming. It's great to see you guys. First of all, my name is Ellis. Elsewhere, I'm the CEO for Fairrider, which is a uh, zero emissions car riding share service here in DC. But I've shared many experiences with everyone in the panel indirectly. Um, I'm uh, also a reservist. I, I got active duty as a um, F-853-26 Bravo. Right now, I'm a reservist as a um, red team cyber chief for um, INSCOM, um, uh, first battalion, second battalion. Um, I'm a cyber out four. Um, so I'm IO and cyber at the same time. I help out Masidic CDNI before General Berger took off. Over to the Pentagon, I still actually just kept left the Pentagon. So there's some people here I see familiar um, meeting them. I'm helping out um, Mars Cyber indirectly. I uh, Before um, Reese Olger and Dave Lauer took off as uh, director of KM, I, I was helping them lead KM. I'm also a Booz Allen employee. Um, helped out Nav Air. Yeah, helped out Nav Air as well. I, I have a lot of hats that I wear. Um, and it's all revolving around the information operations, um, information domains. And that's, that's where my, com my question comes about. Um, based off of everyone here, knowing that with knowledge management and the business that I do, uh, there's obviously three domains. We got cognitive information and physical domains. Uh, without the, the digital domain is still fairly new. I know it's not new, but it's fairly new to a lot of us. Um, the security realm, I would really believe that we did it right. You go into a new scenario, a new battlefield, boots hit the ground, comms go down. Everyone knows that. Um, but we build doors first to protect ourselves. Just like we go downrange, we build HESCO barriers to protect our, um, you know, our sustainment operations. Um, and you guys talk about transitioning, which is great, and I really appreciate because that's what I teach in knowledge management about the transformation. Um, but we feel a little bit constrained. I talk to a lot of the users at the Marine Corps, a lot of soldiers, and I really feel that um, security policies need to be up to date. Um, constraining factors that are limiting limiting us to be um, limiting our military decision making process or the OODA loop process, I would say. Um, I would say the, what is the best way or what do you guys recommend in regards to, um, and also health of FEMA as well, I worked with NATO a long time ago with specific <laughs> pathways, so don't I forget. Um, but in, in a transitioning model um, to, to incorporate the IM, KM, IO, ecosystem for information superiority, decision making. Um, yeah, mobile's great, um, but how do we tackle the doors that we've locked? Um, I know many journalists talked about it before in the Army, but how do we, how do we tackle those? Um, how, do we let go, how do we trust and let go that culture that we've, we've put those walls up? Uh, I guess, what is your, what's your mindset on that? I think um, uh, Mr. Doyle and Ms. Siddick, see, and I used the reference uh, monkey in the ladder is this old story. If you guys are familiar with the monkey in the ladder story, it's basically a bunch of bunch of monkeys that are here, and there's a, there's a ladder, and there's a bunch of bananas that are on top. Um, the scientists let the monkeys go up to the ladder, uh, try to go up the ladder, get the bananas, and they, um, the scientists blew them all out of the way, and also hit them all there on the floor. They start swapping out the monkeys slowly till there's all new monkeys. But the point is that the, they did. <laughs> I don't want to tell the whole story, but the point is, like, when people say that um, security policies, I was like, oh, that's how we've always done it. 
Um, how do we how, how do we tackle the? That's how we always done it, and that's the policies that. All right, I'll, I'll help you out. Thank right. you, sir. Yeah, I'm not going to touch the story, but I'll help you out. All right, so so, uh, and I'm pretty sure uh, uh, Joan Gladby's probably got some comments on this. So uh, I think your question had to do with security policy, and so we're we're kind of all in the policy business. So um, most of security policy questions, just like I said, the war fighting piece begins and ends with data. Most of security policy questions begin and end with what's called a risk management framework uh, that's been developed and it was a great idea, poorly implemented. And I'll just leave it at that. All right, uh, so how do we flatten that? Uh, how do we take uh, account to new applications that have been developed uh, and how do we rapidly get those onto our networks? Because the people on this side of the room, most of them uh, younger than us, uh, they don't wanna hear that we've got this great capability uh, but we can't figure out how to get it on the networks. And so we've got something inside the Army. It's called Project Sentinel. Uh, and uh, Miss Nancy Kreidler, who's a tier two SES uh, for the young people in the room, that's equivalent to a two-star general. Uh, and she runs cybersecurity policy uh, for the Army. And so talk about innovation. What she's been able to do in under a year is come in and take the process and kind of flip it on its head with respect to things like reciprocity. Today, if they develop an application and they get it secured, we, same application comes to the Army or the Marine Corps, we got to go through the same very rigorous process they did. What about reciprocity? It's already met these gates. Uh, it should be allowed onto our networks. And so Project Sentinel, there's been some things written about it. If you go out and Google it, and Nancy, Nancy Kreidler is her name, uh, <laughs> uh, who, who came up with this concept, is a way, not the way, of flattening uh, that particular process and getting to speed that enables, again, our folks to orient, decide, and act faster than peer adversaries. Thank you, sir. Appreciate well, it. Okay, right. we have we have time for one more answer, General Glavy. Um, less than three very precise minutes, please. So, so there's no panacea for cybersecurity. So we, we've seen some of the best in industry get get schwacked, right? It, it's it's not just for for you know the fast, cheap, and easy. The best in the business are getting schwacked. So General Crawford's right. This is a risk challenge, and so every time we try to execute that innovation. We, we just got to understand the risk we're going to bear because it only takes one. I, I, it's unfortunate that's the nature of the business, but one, you know, careless moment in time. And next thing you know, the cost imposing strategy of cleaning it up. Oh, my gosh, it's 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 monumental. So it's it is a it is a risk model. It's, it's hard. It's really probably hard to describe, easy to identify when you're certainly uh, faced with those scenarios. Uh, but 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 I will tell you at heart, everybody wants to get to the place you described, but understanding how we accept that risk and how we mitigate it is, is really the, the big challenge that we face. Thanks. And on the note of risk mitigation, we're going to reduce our risk of going over the time and ending right now. So we want to just take a moment to thank everyone for coming. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Bayer experience. Um, please do go to all the rest of the panels. The Marine Corps as your featured service has a lot going on as well. We have some mentoring <laughs> sessions um, later today. And if you feel the need to cross over to the United States Marine Corps, yes, I'm prior Army, but now I'm a Marine. So just think of service to your nation. Um, again, appreciate everyone for coming. I want to thank Ms. Sonia Kumar and her team with Digital Envy for putting this together. And last but not least, I want to thank the panelists. You have been awesome this morning. Thanks for being where you needed to be providing information to these this great group of people. And again, General Crawford, congratulations on your award. Happy to have you here with us and sharing your time. And to all three, all four of you, thanks again. Thank you for listening to Get Beyond Notifications. Enhancing mobile security to be scalable for the next generation of leaders. A professional development seminar. Featuring President and CEO of Digital Envy Incorporated, Sonia Kumar. Cyber Technology Officer in the U.S. Marine Corps for Cyberspace Command, Renata Spinks. Chief Information Officer in the U.S. Army, Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford. Chief Information Officer for the Federal Emergency Management Agency, Lightweight Hutchinson. 
Senior Vice President and General Manager for Perspective Navy and Marine Corps Business Group, Vice Admiral Ted Branch, and Commander in the U.S. Marine Corps, Major General Matthew Glady. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.bea.org. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.